Hello, and welcome to another episode of Free Lunch, the podcast where we talk to people way smarter than us about the topics that matter most in Canadian business and economics. I'm your co-host, Sarah Bartnika. I'm Taylor Scollin. Taylor, travel is getting pretty expensive these days. I'm wondering if you have a trip that you're hoping to get on the books. No, I'm not traveling at all this summer, I don't think. I like to stay in the city for the summer. I think it's the best time to be here. But, you know, even if I was looking at a trip, as you say, everything has become very expensive. And, you know, you put aside the chaos of going through the airports these days and, you know, hotel rooms, everything is just crazy pricey. I think a lot of listeners would agree with you, but for the ones that maybe are trying to book a vacation somewhere, we're going to unpack a little bit about the demand and the supply side of the equation. And I think we truly have the perfect guest on today to talk about it. He needs no introduction, but we'll give you one anyway. Nathan Blacharzik is the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Airbnb. He's been at the helm of the company since it was a platform to rent out your spare bedroom. And now he's here to talk to us about the travel economy, how it's changed, and how players like Airbnb are going to adapt. Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on Free Lunch. Pleasure to be here. So to kick things off, tell us, what is it like to be at the helm of a tech company right now? Well, uh, it's it's been uh, it's been quite a three or four years, uh, and I think uh, all tech companies have had their own journeys. I think ours was particularly difficult at the start of the pandemic, um, and then having weathered the drop in tourism by eighty percent in just a few weeks. Um, after a few months, we resurrected ourselves and uh, you know, have actually had a very strong past uh, two and a half years, three years, um, and we are in a very good place uh, now. Uh, but I think other tech companies have had a slightly different journey where they, you know, were immediately kind of a beneficiary of everything going online and now are, are feeling a bit of an adjustment. So, you know, I think each company has its own journey. On the whole, how has the company adjusted to that shift in demand 80% down and now it's higher than ever? Yeah. Well, first of all, when your revenue drops 80%, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's quite the crisis. And you have to make hard choices. And particularly what was hard was that we didn't know how long this was going to last for when the pandemic first began. Um, And so we had to assume the worst, that it was going to be a while before travel recovered. Um, And so we had to make difficult choices, um, particularly basically um, doubling down on our core business and dropping uh, some of the kind of longer term, um, let's say, services that were beyond the core. We were looking at things like flights and hotels and, you know, things that really weren't core to the original Airbnb model. And we said, you know, there's actually so much potential still in our core business. Let's invest the resources we have in the core. Um, you know, the second thing was that, uh, you know, we were going to pull back on marketing. We're going to be more disciplined with our headcount. Um, and we recognized that a lot of things were going to be changing uh, very quickly. Uh, and so we got to a place where every six months we were shipping product based on what was happening in the market. So, you know, rather than having projects that were spanning two years, we were really thinking in kind of six month cycles. And I think that allowed us to adapt uh, to the change in consumer behavior really well, because it turns out people weren't traveling internationally they weren't going cross border, but they were still very interested in getting out of their house. Uh, it just meant that they were going nearby. They're going to rural areas. Um, they were creating their own little bubbles uh, with family members and a home was a great way to do this. 
how did you figure that out? Because I think this is a problem that a lot of companies run into, right? Is that they, you know, there's a sudden shift in preferences or behavior, um, and maybe they miss the boat on that. So how did you identify that change in what consumers were looking for so quickly and then adapt your product to what they wanted? Well, I, I think the first is just a mindset, which is to say you find yourself in a crisis and, you know, that's at first glance a, a really challenging and well, no matter what's challenging, but bad thing. You don't want to generally find yourself in a crisis. Um, but I think we've been in crisis before and we knew that in any crisis, there could be a silver lining, right? There can be opportunity. And so you, we immediately started thinking kind of outside the box of, you know, where is this all headed? How can we help? How can we get involved? Um, you know, one of the first things we did actually was house um, frontline workers. Uh, you know, that was, that was the immediate need, in the, especially in the first few weeks and months of the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, we pivoted the fact that we had all these homes that were vacant and we solicited our host community and said, who would like to volunteer and house uh, public health workers? Uh, and we had massive participation. And so I used that just as an example of how we were trying to think creatively about how we use the platform. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, uh, you know, us recovering, you know, we were looking at our own data and the interesting thing about Airbnb is we have homes in a hundred thousand different cities and towns all around the world. Right. So not just big cities, but rural areas um, and not just international destinations, but you know, places domestically that you can drive to. Out. So the fact that we have so much variety on our platform allows us to see a lot of trends um, and see what's sticking. And once we saw that, then we made a choice to double down in terms of product innovation, in terms of uh, redoing our search filters um, to allow people to find places that were available with flexible dates. Meaning instead of saying, I, I want a place and it has to be Friday to Sunday or something like that, to say, hey, I want a place and I can actually go anytime because I'm working remote now. So show me like the best place that's nearby and I'll go when it's available, right? Mm -hmm. So we created that in our search. Uh, Another thing we created was what we call Airbnb categories. And so now it's possible to say, show me a home in a national park. Show me a home in a vineyard. And you don't have to first know about, you know, which towns have vineyards or where these national parks are in the first place. Um, you can just search without specifying a destination. And so this was a way in which we surfaced to people that there were really interesting things to do, interesting homes to visit, uh, even if they weren't necessarily familiar with some of these destinations. Have people responded well to that? I think if you go on Instagram, it seems like there's five places that people vacation and that people might be getting a bit sick of, of that. But what has the response been like for people searching for destinations that they're not aware of? Um, it's been great. I have a couple of examples. Uh, you know, first of all, there's so many hidden gems on Airbnb, right? Like just places that you never thought uh, could exist. And yet, frankly, they were really hard to find, right? Because we have more than 6 million homes all around the globe. Like you wouldn't know where to search, what town to search for to find these things. And now we have a category, for example, called OMG. Oh my God. And you can just click this and immediately see some of these stunning properties, really wacky things. Um, and you don't have to know what town they're in to begin the search. So I think, you know, people just have had fun browsing, even if they had no intention of traveling, just looking at these, these, uh, these listings. The second bit is that we have actually measured scientifically and seen that 
people, once we launch these features, are now more likely to stay outside of major destinations. So we've seen a shift uh, in terms of where people are actually staying uh, when we've done a controlled test. Uh, so you know, there, there's actually some science behind it too. So leaning into the travel piece, um, we know that people are, I guess, looking at different locations. What is the global landscape for travel looking like these days? What is demand looking like? What are costs looking like? Can you just kind of give us a snapshot of that at a high level? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, we're in a, we're actually in a quiet period right now, so I can't really make any uh, forward-looking statements or anything about Q1. But let's just talk more generally, right? Which is, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we saw consumer behavior change a lot, and it was really driven by the fact that people were working from home and they could work from anywhere, um, and they also didn't want to get on airplanes. Now that dynamic has uh, shifted a bit, right? People are uh, very enthusiastic to travel internationally once again. Um, people still have some flexibility in terms of where they work. Uh, so that trend persists. And obviously, we read every day about inflation and, and uncertainty around the economy. Um, and so, you know, we're definitely thinking a lot about in times of economic uncertainty, you know, what can we do from a product perspective uh, to support consumers, both guests and hosts. And back in November, we launched a suite of tools to make it easier to become a host because we know that so many of our hosts use hosting as a way to just, uh, you know, pay their bills, get by, deal with the rising cost of living. And so we think now more than ever is a great time to become host uh, to navigate these challenges. And so we, we launched something called Airbnb Setup in, in, uh, in November. Uh, and with this, we now, when you're signing up, can match you with an experienced host as you're going through the process of signing up and setting up. And you can not only just ask them tactical questions about how do I do this, uh, but you can ask them just like, what was their first experience when they hosted their first guest? What was that like? What's it, you know, and I think that's actually a really helpful conversation to have because it requires a great deal of trust to become a host. And so these are some of the features uh, that we, we added in November thinking that in the future, people would really value the extra income, especially over, say, the next year. Now, on the traveler side, I think the same, same dynamic exists, and it really informs our, our 2023 summer launch uh, that we're announcing uh, this week. Uh, and we're featuring uh, Airbnb rooms. Uh, we have more than a million rooms on Airbnb that are in people's homes. The host is there. They give you a private room in the house where you can stay. Um, and what's amazing about this is certainly the price point. 80% of them are less than 100 US dollars a night. I think the average price is around $67 US dollars per night. Um, but beyond just the price, it's also the experience. Uh, with Airbnb rooms, you get to meet the host most of the time. And that can be really, really special. I was an Airbnb rooms host for many years. And I've had so many conversations about entrepreneurship with people. And I just went the other day, went back and read, read the reviews that were left for me uh, back when I was a rooms host. And, you know, you come to realize how much people value the interaction with the people. They love the room, they love the price point, but even what they talked about in their reviews were their conversations with me. And it wasn't just because I was the founder of Airbnb. Actually, some of them didn't even know that. Uh, it was the fact that we had something in common. And now with Airbnb Rooms, we are, have a feature called Host Passport. Host Passport gives you a better idea of who is the host behind the room. Uh, and 
just as you're browsing through pictures, you can just as easily uh, see who the host is and learn a bit about them right there. So you can see whether you might have some shared interests that might make it a, a really good match. Um, so this is a new feature uh, that we are launching this week, um, along with one more thing, which is um, you know more explicit clarity around the privacy of the listing, right? So if you're staying in someone else's, uh, staying in someone's room in their home, you might want to know, uh, you know, is the bathroom shared? Is it private? If it's private, is it part of a suite or is it down the hallway? Uh, and this is all much more explicit now going forward. So you can have absolute clarity on what to expect when you arrive. Do you have a sense of how many people, like what's the breakdown of people who go on Airbnb because they're looking for the lowest cost option for accommodations versus people who want, you know, one of these really cool properties that you're just not going to get in a, in a hotel. Like is the Airbnb rooms feature a response to a demand, uh, like cost pressures basically that travelers are feeling right now? Well, look, I, I think, um, we see everything on our platform. It's funny, you know, Airbnb started very much probably from, uh, from a place of being, you know, kind of a budget alternative. And this is, you know, literally what Joe and Brian did 15 years ago when we started the company was rent out an extra bedroom uh, in their apartment and they were the hosts. Um, and so this really goes back to the founding story. I think during the pandemic, it was less popular because of social distancing. And I do think now is the time where you're going to see a resurgence in this category, um, both because the pandemic is over, but also because I think, you know, people are, are thinking twice about their budget. They still want to travel. Um, but they want to make sure they're they're you know getting the value. Yeah, can I follow up on that with just a broader question about cost for travel accommodations? Like I remember when I first started using Airbnb back in the day, it was unbelievably cheap. Like I couldn't. It seemed like a magical experience because it was like this is you know a quarter of the price of a hotel room. Uh, the price has increased a lot. The price of hotels has increased a lot. What do you think is driving that change in in pricing is it just that travel demand is so high right now is there a supply issue what's going on there well a couple of things i mean one we we've, we've gone through a period of very high demand uh in the pandemic right i think you know hosts on on airbnb were getting a lot of business um and so you know there's just a lot of, of supply and demand and, and, and when there's a lot of demand uh you know in finite supply uh, prices will go up uh, we're also in a period of inflation, right? So, you know, the underlying costs of, of everything have, have gone up. So, you know, th these are, of course, factors that you can't escape, right? Because, you know, this Airbnb exists in, in the context of the real world and, and the real world, world has gotten more expensive. All that being said, look, I think the amazing thing about Airbnb is that we have something at every price point. And what we're doing with this release is making it easier uh, to find what's right for you. And so... You know, the price filters have been improved. Now, when you go to filter and you can choose between homes or rooms, as you're making that choice, you'll see how the price distribution changes. You get a much better idea of uh, the ranges of prices you might pay for, for either offering. Um, so, you know, I think we, I, I think all the, I, I think all the options exist price-wise on the site. Um, it, it is really just about digging in and, and finding the listing that's right for you. Nathan, can you give us any assurances on cleaning fees? It's difficult to move on from the pricing conversation to first talk about 
how have we gotten rid of those? That was a weird time when people were a bit upset about the fees there. So what's are, are those gone now or are those at least being tamped down on? Well, clean, cleaning is an important part of the value proposition, right? So uh, inevitably, someone's cleaning the place and, and you know, you want to clean well. So, uh, you know, it is it is money well spent. That being said, you want the cleaning fees to be um, competitive uh, and you want clarity. So a couple of things. One is that uh, now when you're searching as a guest, you can see either the price, the nightly price, or you can see the total price. And so the total price will be the total price with the fees, the cleaning fees built in. So you can choose which way you want to compare prices. And we give you the choice because depending on what other sites you're looking at, if you are looking at other sites, it might be helpful to see it one way or the other. Um, so you have the choice. Second of all, we are helping hosts to better understand what is the final price that a guest pays when they book a property. And that we hope that that helps hosts to be more thoughtful about you know, what, what is the price they're going to set, knowing that there's additional fees that come on top and what does that ultimate price look like. And I think that will ultimately put downward pressure on prices. Um, you know, third, we provide host tools to understand what others like themselves are doing in their market in terms of pricing. Um, so hosts are free to set price as they will. Um, but as a platform, we can give them tips on what will likely make them most successful. And we can do that by seeing what others are doing on the platform who are actually getting booked. And so we have now improved tools for hosts to see who are the other hosts with similar properties in their area that are actually getting booked, not just what they're asking for, but the ones that are actually getting booked. And I think this ultimately um, will allow hosts to be more competitive on price. The final thing I'll say is the search algorithm uh, now factors in cleaning fees. Um, and so, again, if you have a more competitive price, you're more likely to be higher up in the search results. So I think all of this will uh, you know, make sure that cleaning fees remain competitive. That's good to hear because I think my other question was going to be about some of these tools that can help hosts set those more competitive prices because like my assumption is that hosts have the tendency to price a little bit too high. That feels kind of natural. You want, want to get the most from your property, but then you don't really get the uh, the booking. So is this all kind of meant to stabilize, you know, I guess like to stabilize the price increases that we've been seeing on short-term rentals, I guess, specifically? Uh, yes, but also it's to create value for hosts too. Uh, I think as a platform provider, one of the unique um, capabilities we have is data, right? We see, uh, you know, uh, what is getting booked and at what prices um, and which properties are similar or different. And so we think we can add value by surfacing these insights because ultimately if a host doesn't get booked, uh, they're not going to be successful. And, and so there's a sweet spot in terms of price. If they charge too much, they're not going to get booked. If they charge too little, well, then, then they're going to get really booked, but they might be leaving money on the table. So you know, I think there's, we are ultimately the market maker in terms of matching supply and demand. Uh, and we've been working on functionality to actually deliver this to, to hosts, as well as to guests in terms of giving them the clarity of, of like what the all-in cost is. I wanted to ask you about another new feature, which I'm not sure is available where it's available yet, but there was a Bloomberg story about it, Airbnb adding some big landlords onto the platform. 
who can then give permission, I suppose, to their tenants to rent out their apartments on Airbnb. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what the purpose of that is, the uptake on it, uh, some of the benefits that you know could accrue, I suppose, to tenants that they didn't have access to before? Yeah, this program is called Airbnb Friendly Apartments, recently launched in November, uh, currently available in the United States, um, but will most certainly expand uh, in the future. And it's really to respond uh, to the fact that um, you know Airbnb, when it was founded, was uh, you know it was all based on Joe, Brian, and I trying to pay the rent on our apartment. Right? We couldn't afford the rent, um, and one third of Americans are renters in this country, and yet one third uh, these renters generally their landlords have now put into the lease that they're not allowed to to host on Airbnb. Um, and the landlords have done this because there's really no upside to the landlord to, to give this permission. And, you know, they want to make sure that there aren't any disturbances in their building. And so it's just the easy thing to do is to say, no, you can't do this. And frankly, most tenants don't even want to bring up the question because they're afraid that if they ask, uh, they'll be kind of closed out of the opportunity of being a tenant. And so it's a real challenge if you rent. And it's kind of weird to think that, you know, if Joe, Brian, and I were you know, 15 years ago, if we were, if we were now today and we were trying to rent out our apartment, uh, you know, to, uh, to, uh, you know, a few guests on a short-term basis that our lease might not allow it. And so this is the, the, the challenge we wanted to address. And I think it's important for Airbnb also because, you know, young people are disproportionately renters and those in cities are disproportionately renters. And these are really our core audiences. Two thirds in America of young people rent, uh, two thirds of folks in city rent. And so what we've done is we've worked with landlords of all different sizes, come up with a program that make them comfortable uh, giving this permission to their tenants. And again, these are tenants who their primary home, this is their primary home in the apartment, but they want to be able to host on a part-time basis. And there's really two parts to the program. One is making sure that the landlord has visibility into what's happening in their buildings and is able to set some guardrails. Um, so they can say that, look, this is only meant to be a part-time activity. So at most it's 180 nights a year or 90 nights or whatever they want to set as the threshold. Um, they can say what the maximum duration of a stay can be, things like this. They can also see who's coming and going. So when someone's coming through the front door uh, repeatedly that they don't recognize, well, now they'll recognize them because they have a list of who's, who's in the building that night um, and when people are checking in and checking out. So they have basic controls and visibility into what's happening in their buildings now. Um, but the second thing is that we're helping these landlords to find tenants who will sign one-year leases in their buildings. In other words, um, you can now come to Airbnb.com and you can find uh, buildings across the United States. We have 260 buildings in 38 different cities uh, where if you become a tenant, the landlord will allow you to host. Hmm. Um, and so what basically what's happening is that landlords are being rewarded for uh, for giving this permission and the reward to the landlord is the fact that we will feature them on our website to our audience of guests and hosts who are knowledgeable about Airbnb, who want to become hosts and want to find a landlord who supports their, their ambition. Um, and so this is, this is the offering uh, that was launched in, in November and has been received quite well. And I think it's really, again, appropriate in this time where you know, people are looking to make a, a few extra bucks to navigate the economy. Uh, and this, this allows renters to do that. Is there any level of cooperation that's required with municipalities when you roll out a program like this, or is it all dependent on the landlords? 
Yes. Well, I mean, first and foremost, the, uh, the local regulation has to be um, conducive uh, to this arrangement. And, you know, most cities, you know, really like the idea that ordinary people can host on a part-time basis to make some extra money. Um, and so most cities want to make sure that that's easy to do. There's only a few cities in the U.S. where renters are not allowed to host. Um, but in most cities, uh, renters are not differentiated from uh, landlord. Uh, sorry, from, from homeowners. Uh, and so this opportunity exists. Uh, and then, then we work with the building owners to to come up with a paradigm that works for them. So, in other words, you know, whatever's happening in terms of this activity has to be both compliant with the city rules and then now the building rules. I wish this existed when I was uh, hiding my Airbnb listing from my landlord. Not my current landlord, in case she's listening. But my old well, landlord. the next time you move and you need to, f- to find a, a new landlord who will uh, <laughs> support your hosting activity, we, we can help you out. Absolutely. So let's talk about local regulations a little bit. Um, you know, the housing crisis is what we call it here in Canada. It's such a big deal. Everyone, you know, it's really the top of mind issue for so many people here. Um, and you'll often hear criticism of short-term rental services, uh, Airbnb just being, I suppose, the largest, uh, for taking supply off of the market. That was a, a common thing you would hear, at least until you know local regulations were brought in at municipal levels. Um, what's your view on that? Does Airbnb take supply off the market? Does it drive up rents? How do you look at that issue? Yeah. Well, first of all, we, we support uh, the, the need for, for regulation. Uh, but look, if you look at all the Airbnb listings in Canada, you know, they would account for less than 1% of the housing stock. And you know, many of these uh, listings are uh, offered by you know, single hosts. So you know, eight out of 10 hosts in Canada offer just one listing on our platform. Um, so you know, these aren't like speculative operations uh, Generally speaking, most people are ordinary people. Forty-five um, percent say they use their Airbnb income to offset their, their rising living costs, um, and so I think it's important that as we think about regulation, that we preserve the ability for ordinary people to rent because it is a really powerful economic tool. And look, Joe Bryan and I would not have been able to support our our entrepreneurship uh, ambitions, you know, had we not been able uh, to host uh, that extra bedroom in the apartment while we were doing that. Um, you know, that's what allowed us to quit our jobs and, and pursue our passions. And so, you know, I think it's this, this ability to earn extra income um, is a real enabler for people uh, in ways that I think are, is truly important. And, you know, governments generally recognize it as something they want to support. Now, of course, there needs to be guardrails, right? And that's where I think, you know, the, the true intent of the, the regulation is, is to make sure that, um, you know, that when there is a housing shortage, uh, which is increasingly common to just make sure that, you know, large scale operators aren't coming in uh, and, and kind of having a disproportionate impact. And, you know, we have worked a lot with cities to help them enforce their regulation. Now, in the early days, and look, it's, it's been 15 years since we started the company. Some cities have had regulation now for 10 years. Um, and if you look at our top 200 markets uh, by, by, by revenue, 80% of them are regulated. And again, some have been regulated for quite some time. Hmm. Now, in the early days, our biggest markets 
we did bespoke work to support those regulations. Uh, you know, programmers wrote code uh, and for hundreds of different cities uh, to you know, do things like show permit numbers, et cetera. Now, from doing all that, we learned a few things. We learned that there's a kind of a common set of functionality that cities need. And as we thought about the 100,000 cities around the world in which Airbnb exists and operates, we thought to ourselves, how do we scale these capabilities and make it such that you know, cities around the world can have access to effective functionality uh, without having to write custom code to enable it? And so you know, out of this thought process came something we call the city portal. Something launched a little over two years ago. Uh, and the city portal is meant to be a one-stop shop for governments, uh, containing all the functionality that they need as it pertains to Airbnb. So these are things like data sharing, uh, permit enforcement, handling any kind of neighbor noise complaints, COVID when that was happening, um, et cetera. And we can basically create a login to this portal and instantly a city can have access to powerful tools. And so that's very much our vision for the future. We have 300 governments on it right now. Uh, that number is growing very quickly. Um, and it's one of the ways in which we you know, support uh, governments to, to you know, in, enforce their rules more effectively. Are there any municipalities that you would point to as having really figured it out as far as like having like a healthy ecosystem of like both long-term and short-term rentals that are just doing a really good job? Um, I think one of the challenges that we face is, you know, every, every city is, is so different. Um, and there's a lot of nuances, right? I think the high level idea is, uh, it's always a very simple one, uh, which is, Hey, we want ordinary people to, to benefit. Uh, and we want, uh, you know, those operating at scale to, uh, to, uh, you know, not be able to do so. Um, how that gets enforced though is tricky. Right. And I think, you know, it usually starts with a registration system. And making sure that that's a digital registration system, not something where you have to do paperwork, is important. Um, and you know, making sure that you know it's a process that an ordinary person can, can get through is important. Because um, the unique thing about Airbnb is that these are individuals; these aren't businesses. And so, you know, individuals uh, you know have a limited appetite for bureaucracy and ability to get through complex processes. So you got to keep it simple. Um, you know, I do think there's places uh, that have, uh, you know, done this uh, well. Um, I'm trying to think what's most relevant to Canada. Um, I know like in Europe, Hamburg has had a digital registration system in for over a decade. It works very well. It's very simple. Um, I would say that, um, you know, I think in Vancouver, uh, we have uh, a very good working system there uh, for some time now. Uh, you know, Toronto, uh, we have on using the, uh, the city portal. Um, I know that one has had, uh, <laughs> uh you know, uh, it's been a journey, uh, to, to arrive at, but <laughs> look, I, I think the, the bottom line is we're very committed, uh, to, to working with cities, uh, and we, we've iterated as necessary. Well, we would not be shocked to hear that Canadian municipalities are not at the uh, leading edge of innovation in the world, Nathan. <laughs> but I think this is the last question for me. You know, everyone I know uses Airbnb. So where do you see the growth opportunities for the business? Like when it comes to emerging markets, India, China, travelers from places like that. Um, wh what do you see as sort of the big uh, prizes, I guess, over the next you know, five or 10 years? 
Well, you know, Airbnb is, is truly a global company. Um, and I guess when we think on a really long time horizons, first of all, you know, over the pandemic, Asia was, was very much impacted. All, all countries were very much impacted. But you know, I think Asia is probably the last kind of large region to really emerge and open up from the pandemic. And so I think that's like a more near to medium term opportunity. I think that as we think about 10 years, uh, you know, the middle class around the world continues to grow. And one of the first things people want to do when they have discretionary income is to travel. Uh, and so, you know, when you think about uh, emerging economies across Southeast Asia and India and China uh, uh, and some of these places, we think that's very exciting. Uh, Latin America has been very exciting for us uh, in recent years. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, it's a big world and uh, there's a lot of growth happening from different places. And I think even in our core business, there's just so much more potential. Um, travel is, you know, one of the largest industries uh, on the planet. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're still just tapping into that. The last question for me, as far as like lessons learned from the pandemic, you talked about, I guess, like at the top of the call about how there was um, a lot of ongoing kind of projects that were maybe not uh, aligned with like the core focus is how far out, I mean, not just for Airbnb, but like most tech companies, like how far out are we from seeing companies explore those types of, you know, shiny, nice to have, you know, opportunities as well. I'm very curious. Yeah, no, I'm glad you bring it up as we, you know, just talked about, you know, future business opportunities. Uh, look, I think those were all good ideas that we had. I think, you know, we have to recognize that to make any one of those ideas successful is a long journey. Um, and so we should pace ourselves accordingly and prioritize carefully which ones we choose. But as we are now, I think, really out of the pandemic and kind of back to the new normal, uh, it does make sense to choose some of those projects to move forward. And so I think you can expect some of those uh, projects from the 2019 and earlier time period uh, to, to be reprioritized and to see you know, future innovation around. Um, I think we'll just be very careful about uh, you know, not doing too many things at once and recognizing that to make these things really successful requires you know, many years of commitment. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's ultimately just about being disciplined, but we will uh, uh, continue to invest in the future in things like experiences uh, and, and some of the other things we were doing before, too. I'll keep keep an eye out. Thank you so much, Thank Nathan, you. for the time. This has been really great. No, that was great. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Okay, well, that was a great conversation with Nathan. I love how we're, you know, talking about how Airbnb is kind of going a little bit back to that founding story. And I think this is, this might be a sign of what's to come in the travel industry as far as some like maybe creative budget options coming out of this. What do you think, Taylor? Yeah, it was great to hear from someone who has been through so many different economic cycles, I guess, you know, from the start of when Airbnb was founded, which I believe was around the 2008 recession through everything we've been through then, like until now. And now once again, through another period of economic uncertainty and just to hear how, yeah, they're kind of going back to 
the basics of offering a very, very affordable travel option at a time when, yeah, consumers are, you know, feeling the pinch of, of more inflation and higher costs and looking for ways that they can still do things like travel, but save some money. So I wonder if there is some sort of parallel with, you know, the, the founding experience of Airbnb when it was, you know, much cheaper than hotels uh, to what they're doing now and how that sort of mirrors what's going on in the economy as a whole. Yeah, I don't think that flights are going to be getting any cheaper anytime soon. It's like funny, like you look at travel as a whole too. And I think that like costs of like some travel at some airlines, this is, don't quote me on this number, but like are up what, like 30, 40% some tickets for some destinations too. So I think that people need all the savings that they can get, but like getting me to opt into staying in a stranger's room is going to take some convincing. So I'm excited to see what the features look like as far as like, I'm, in, I'm interested in the shared bathroom feature because that is a big one for me. Like I want to know who's going to be in and out of the bathroom. I've had some very strange experiences, like some fine experiences with private rooms on Airbnb. But, you know, I was using Airbnb when it first came out, like 2009, 2010. What was it like back then? Well, it was, you know, I was just booking rooms in people's apartments. The first place I stayed was like, I don't know, it was like a closet in an art gallery in Berlin. And they just had put down a mattress, but it was, you know, it cost nothing. It was was perfect at the time. And then, you know, speaking of... I'm surprised uh, there was a bathroom for you to use. Yeah, Yeah, no, it, uh, it did the job. And then another time, this is also kind of an interesting economic uh, story, but I stayed in this guy's apartment in New York City and I stayed in a private room in this nice, you know, Brooklyn uh, brownstone that he had. And I asked him like what he did, what was he doing all day? And he was just renting out Airbnbs because he had lost his job during the recession as a banker at Deutsche Bank. So he went to Airbnb and started renting out his rooms. And that's when Airbnb was kicking off, you know, when all these people were losing their jobs at these banks. And uh, I wonder how many of them then just turned into like short term rental landlords. He might still be doing that. It's like anything else, like the first people to like the Airbnb rush maybe back then too. I, I expect they're still doing that or like landlords of like multi, maybe he has more than one property in, in Brooklyn now. Yeah, that's very possible. But it's always just interesting to see how these bigger macro trends end up trickling down to the products and tools that we we use every day. Uh, and, you know, to hear from someone like Nathan, who I think, We've had some great guests. Nathan is by far the the biggest uh, entrepreneur founder guest. So to hear how he's thinking about these things, I think is great as well. Yeah. And he like, it's like the same story that you're hearing from these tech CEOs like over and over again, which I think is a good lesson for those of us that haven't lived through an economic downturn like as adults, right? And it really is just like a story for all these companies of like, you're seeing the most success from those that were able to successfully kind of go back to basics, focus on their core product, get rid of the distractions. Like you're hearing this from like Snap, you're hearing this from Meta, you're hearing this from like Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And it's really like, everyone's trying to do it, but um, 
obviously the ones that have been able to do that successfully. It's a good lesson for anyone right now that's like thinking of starting a business, right? It's like when times are tight, go back to basics, focus on that core offering, and then just kind of build up from there. But um, I was hoping to get a, a timeline from him on like when we're expecting to see the tech CEOs to start like playing around and like the the distractions, like the fun ideas, right? That are just a diversion from the normal business. But it might be some time before we see them dabbling. That's in that how you stuff know again. that. That's how you know that tech is back. I mean, I wonder if they're running. When Airbnb ahead. Yeah. introduces an airline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if they're running ahead of the curve because they had to deal with this. They had to deal with kind of the things that Meta and these other tech companies are dealing with much earlier. It was almost an accelerated timeline because the pandemic, you know, ruined their business for at least a very short period of time. They had to make these sorts of like difficult choices uh, well before everyone else did. Yeah, 100%. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I think that's a good place to leave it. What do you think? Yeah, let's leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Free Lunch. My name is Sarah Barnica. You can find me on Twitter at Sarah Barnica. And I'm Taylor Scollin. I'm on Twitter at Taylor Scollin. And you can find more episodes like this and on a ton of other topics that you might be interested in by searching Free Lunch by the Peak wherever you listen to podcasts. 